0: You know, we are bombarded with countless images every day that reinforce a message that our culture tells us over and over, which is, more is always better, right? We've been thinking about that in this series, how if we buy certain products, we're told, hey, we're going to have a happier life, it's going to show that we're more successful, more house, more stuff. More car, it's always better. And we've been thinking about some ways that Scripture dispels that myth. We've been looking at the book of Psalms and allowing those Psalms to speak to us about the ways that God provides things that the world cannot provide. And how what God offers us really is more than what the world offers us. We come at that from a number of different directions. Last week we talked about, okay, this is what God does when it feels like life is giving us less rather than more. And today I want us to come at it again from a slightly different direction from that as well. And start with this thought. Many of us are fixers, right? I mean, if there's something broken, You want to fix it. If there's something broken in the house some of you like immediately you're going to go find the toolbox and get to work fixing it because you just cannot stand for something to be broken that's supposed to be working around you. Now I'm a little bit that way especially if it's something that's going to be in my presence like if there's a light bulb out in the room Really can't stand that. As Soon as it goes out, I'm going to go find a new light bulb and replace it. Now, I'm not sure what that says about my psyche, but let's skip that and move on to other things, right? So we're all sort of a little bit that way, but, but maybe we're that way about things that are really even more important than appliances and Chevrolets, right? It might be that sometimes we're more concerned about fixing people. Sometimes it can be ourselves. We go through a difficult situation, maybe it's our fault, maybe it's not, but it leaves some internal struggle, some emotional trauma, and and we just want to fix it. Or maybe there's a person in our lives, and they come to us, and they are really struggling about something that happened, and we feel bad if in the midst of that conversation, we don't have some tools that we can give to them. fix the problem. Now I'm not talking about those people in our lives that are pretty sure they know how to live our lives better than we do and so they're always telling us how to live life. I'm talking about the the genuine desire to see someone who is really hurting, really broken, and we just have the sense that we've got to fix the problem. But some of those problems we really can't fix. And for, for some of us, it's in those moments when we find something that we can't fix, there's the moment to pray. Now that betrays a sort of misunderstanding of the way that prayer should work in our lives. Sometimes we think, okay, I will do whatever I can do, and then when that doesn't work, when I can't fix the problem, then I'm going to talk to God about it. Because if I can't do it, then it's, it's up to God. And really, if we look at Scripture... What we find running through all the pages of Scripture is a continual call from God to come with, to Him with whatever is going on in our lives. So even if it's something that we can really address, we, we sort of know how to fix, God's still saying, come talk to me about that. In fact, be- before you get at fixing it, why don't, why don't you talk to me about that? And in the midst of whatever you're doing to solve the problem, keep praying. And after you've done your work, keep praying. So scripture never says, okay, it's up to you to do all this. And then when you can't do any more, then you pray. It's really pray all the way through the process, even if you've got some solutions to the problem. Now, here's our question for today. What happens when, I mean, there's a, there's a big problem. I mean, there's something going on in our lives that it is clear is beyond our ability to fix We've been praying all the way through this with God. We've done what we could do. What do we do when God shows up? What do we do when God really deals with that issue, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever the problem is, God does something powerful and and deals with the issue. How do we respond? Now, let's back up from that just for a second. You know, when we take something to God, there's really an array of answers that God could give to that request, right? And and I think they fall basically into three big categories. There are a lot of variation in these three, but basically three answers that God can give to us when we pray. The first answer is no. Sometimes God says no. We don't like that. I mean, it might be, most of us have had this experience. Someone we love, really sick. Maybe their life is threatened because of the sickness. And in our minds, they are far too young to face death over the sickness. And so we go to God and we ask God, please heal my brother, sister, parent, child, friend, whatever it is. Okay? And we're like, we are earnest in this prayer. And, and we pray this prayer multiple times. And, and it really seems like it's, I mean, the best answer to this prayer would be that God would work. And he doesn't. Or we go to God with a, a, a relationship, maybe a marriage that's just, it's just broken. I mean, there's some stuff that's going on and the, the couple can't seem to get past it. Maybe you're in the marriage. Maybe it's someone you care about. And you pray to God and say, God, please restore this marriage. I don't know what to do to help them. There's more here than I can fix, but God, you can deal with it because you're a God who heals. You're a God who restores. God, heal this marriage. And he doesn't. And sometimes God's answer is no. Now, when we're talking about physical healing, we can say, well, you know, in the end, there's resurrection, God's going to bring us back to life and we're going to spend eternity with him. That's true, okay? But but in that moment, that wasn't our prayer, was it? Our prayer was God, heal this person, someone I love, physical body right now. Sometimes God says no. That's hard. Sometimes God says wait. No, we've been there too. Pray for someone's healing. Ask God to to bring healing to their body. The sickness becomes chronic. But maybe it's months. Maybe it's years later. The person is delivered from that and and their their body's healed. Again, back to a marriage. A marriage is broken. This couple is really struggling. You're not sure if they're going to make it. They're on the brink. And it takes weeks, months, maybe even years. But eventually, there's restoration. The marriage is healed. They stay together. But in the midst of all that, we're waiting. And there's tremendous uncertainty in waiting. We're just hoping that God will act, but we don't know if he will. So sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. Now, if you want to know a little bit about me as a preacher, I tend to focus on these first two answers. Maybe because my family would say I'm slightly pessimistic, okay? Maybe a lot pessimistic, actually. I can always see the trouble. I see it out there, and and it's on my mind, and I'm concerned about it. And and when I hear Christian people come to me and say, I've been praying about this, and it seems like God's answer is no, or God's answer is wait. I can see that in those moments, for all of us, this, this is a time when our faith can get shaky, right? Like, why wouldn't God help with this? And so if He isn't, What kind of God is he? Or is he even there? And so these moments when God says no or God says wait can be real challenges to our faith. So I tend to focus on those and try to help people walk through that. And in fact, that's what the message was about last Sunday. So if that's where you are and you didn't hear the message, we had a little trouble with the video, but the audio of the sermon is on our website. If you'd like to listen to that, sort of the yes, I mean the no or the wait, listen to that message because that's what it was all about. But sometimes God says yes. Sometimes we pray for someone to be healed from physical sickness, and maybe even the doctors can't explain exactly why they were. They didn't expect it, they didn't think that would happen, but it did. Maybe this is the power of God at work. Sometimes we look at a marriage and it feels like, man, they're hanging on by a thread. And I just don't know if they're going to make it. And they're not sure how it happened because maybe they didn't feel strong enough to make it work, but, but God worked something in them. And the marriage is restored because of the power of God. Sometimes God says, yes. Well, how do we respond to those moments when the answer to our our prayer is a, maybe even not just yes, but a powerful, God-filled yes? What do we do in response to that? Well, sometimes I think our response is, well, not really much. Because again, if you're at all like me, then you may think, well, God's done something really big. That's awesome. I really, I mean, that is really good that we are done with that issue. But there's always, there's always another problem, right? There's always something else coming down the pike. It's right there. And now, yeah, that's dealt with. But God, I got this other thing that really needs to be solved. And that's what's on my mind. Yeah, that was awesome. But God, I really need help with this. And so it's easy for me to forget what God has done and focus on the next problem in front of us. But the Psalms are great for reminding us how to answer God when he says yes. And we could look at, I mean, there are many places in Scripture beyond the psalms we could look. There are many psalms that are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. So we're going to look at Psalm 30, but there are others that we could find. So today, Psalm 30, if we look at Psalm 30, right at the beginning, there's a little prologue. It says, a psalm, a song. Okay, we got that. We understand those words. But then it says, for the dedication of the temple. Many of you will remember that there was a temple to God in Jerusalem. And then the next words are of David. And there's our problem. Because if you remember that story, David wants to build the temple. He talks to God about building the temple. And God said, No. You're a man of warfare. You've got blood on your hands. I don't want you to build my temple. I want your son Solomon the king to build the temple. So by the time we get to the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem... David's long since dead. So how do you write this psalm? Well, what we need to remember is whenever we see the Psalms and they say a psalm of David, sometimes that's the only words that are at the beginning, of David. That can mean David wrote it. David is the author. All right? That's possible. But it can also mean David sort of called for its writing. He commissioned the psalm. In fact, there were professionals who wrote then, just like now, and someone like the king could hire someone and say, hey, listen, I want you to write a psalm for us to use in our worship that celebrates what God did in creation or in defeating this enemy. And they would write that psalm. So it's a psalm of David because David commissioned the psalm. Or it can mean this is a psalm in the style of David. So David wrote some psalms, and then people sort of used his style in writing other psalms. So it could be one of many things that would have this psalm showing up after David has died about the dedication of the temple, including the fact that David could have written the psalm during his own lifetime to be used in the dedication of the temple in a time he knew he was going to be dead. All those things are possible. That's probably what's at work there. But let's jump in and read what the psalmist has to say. So Psalm 30, beginning in verse 1. I will exalt you, Yahweh, the personal name for God, all caps, L-O-R-D, the personal name for God that the Israelites use. I will exalt you, Yahweh, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Clearly a psalm of praise. Yahweh, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Yahweh, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. This sounds like a psalm that is in response to physical healing. I mean, it sounds like the psalmist is saying, Listen, God, I was as good as dead. I mean, I was so sick, I thought that was the end. And some of you have been through that either yourself or someone you love, like you, you thought this is the end. I mean, I'm not going to see my next birthday. I am so sick. I can't even imagine getting well. And you're here today. That happens sometimes. And I think that's what we're talking about here. The psalmist was so sick, he really thought he was going to die and that was going to be the end of it. But God brought him back. God restored his life. And so this whole psalm is in response to God saying, yes, God brought healing. And he's going to tell us a little more about that process because it's it's a little more complex than just I prayed and God said yes. There's more going on than that. Verse 4, sing the praises of Yahweh, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name for his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I have no idea how many times the words of Psalm 30, verse 5, have come to my mind. Because, once again, and I'm sort of reflecting personally on my own experience a lot today, but there have been a lot of nights or a lot of early mornings, about two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, when something was going on in my life that seemed insurmountable. Like, I really don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I, I don't know how to start dealing with it. I don't know what to do about it. It's just so big, so complex, so hard that I can't solve the problem. Tears in the night. But the psalmist says joy, the older translations say joy comes in the morning, or here rejoicing comes in the morning. It's amazing how the problem in the light of day looks so much smaller and maybe even more manageable than it did in the middle of the night when we weren't thinking straight. Now, I think the psalmist is actually talking about something more than just that experience. Because before that, he talks about the fact that sometimes sometimes we do stuff that God gets angry at. Now, we don't like to talk about that because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable thing about God being angry at us. But there are times when we alienate ourselves from God and it feels like I'm not in touch with God. Like I don't sense the presence of God in my life. That's not a good feeling. And I think the psalmist is reflecting on that. And he's saying those are the moments when when it feels bad, when it feels dark. But even when we offend God and we may feel alienated from God, what we find is that because of God's deep and abiding love for us, he brought us into being, he sustains our life. Because of all that, God's anger is fleeting. He always invites us back. And the joy that the psalmist is thinking of is when that opens back up. And once again, we have this awareness of the presence of God in our lives once again, that we are not alienated. So yes, it's, hey, the problem's big in the night, but joy comes in the morning. But also, we can go through a season in which we are not in touch with God, and then that opens back up and brings us joy. Okay, so that's there. Down to verse 6, we get another clue as to what's going on. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Big, bold statement. Yahweh, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. It is this if the psalmist is saying this, listen, there was this moment when, when I sort of thought I was in control. When I thought I could say, well, God's going to do this for me because God loves me, God cares for me, so I'm just going to tell God what to do. He'll do it because I'm his guy. And that arrogance got the psalmist in trouble. And that's when he feels alienated from God. So it was his own doing. And now he's backed up from that. And he's found his right place before God. And because of that, God has delivered him. And then the end of the psalm, which... I think it's a beautiful statement of God's love for us and His presence in our lives, beginning in verse 11. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing Your praises and not be silent. Yahweh my God, I will praise You forever. So we go from this moment of overwhelming sadness because of what's going on in our lives, the problem is there, even to the point that hey, I told God what to do and he didn't do it, so we're alienated from God to this time when God returns. He's present. We sense that. He's acted. He's brought deliverance, salvation from whatever was threatening us. And so we felt like mourning, but now we feel like dancing. We were wearing sackcloth, which was the, sort of the symbol of grief in the ancient Jewish world. And now we put on joy. Everything's changed. So we look back at this psalm. What do we learn from it? What does it tell us? I think it's pretty simple. Give thanks when salvation comes. Give thanks when salvation comes. The, the, this whole psalm is, is a model of just that. And, and maybe our inclination at times is to, to move on. Okay? Salvation's come. Great. But i got other stuff to deal with. The psalmist is reminding us to say, hang on. Look look at what God's done. Take notice of that. Remember that God is a powerful God who acts in our lives, and sometimes we move on so quickly we forget to even notice what He's done. We actually need to give thanks for that. So how do we do that? It has to be intentional. Now, there's probably some in the room that your heart just overflows with thanksgiving to God. And that is awesome. And I applaud it and keep going with that. And then there's a lot of us who maybe struggle a little more with this. And we have to remind ourselves to give thanks to God when salvation comes. How do you do it? Well, you know, a really simple and inexpensive way is a piece of paper and a pen. Lots of us keep a... A list of prayer requests right things we want to pray about pretty simple but we also need to keep a list of things that we're giving thanks for you know go back to our answers from god sometimes god's answer is wait and there may be something that we pray about for days or weeks or months or years or even decades and when god acts and there is salvation It's a big deal, okay? You've been praying about something for years. It's a big deal when God acts. But you know, my guess is most of us, if we look at the time that we pray for something and the time that we give thanks, they usually don't match up. And I'm not saying they have to, but I come up pretty short on that equation. I think we have to choose to give thanks. We have to remind ourselves to give thanks for the ways that God has acted in our lives. And so writing it down and being intentional and praying about it, not just to satisfy God and say, "Oh well, if I don't thank God enough, then he's not going to pay attention to me next time. It's not that. But just to give the thanks to God that he deserves because he's acted. Keep track of it. Or maybe take a few minutes couple minutes five minutes in the morning at lunch at the end of the day whatever it is when you can get a few seconds to just reflect on the day and say you know what's happened today how has God been active in my life today and then to give thanks for that you know uh, first part of this series we reflected on some of the things that we were talking to God about and I want to go back to that and just take a few minutes now because maybe if you look back over the last year and think about what's going on and the things that you've talked to God about, maybe you recognize that you haven't really given thanks for that salvation that God's offered, for the ways that God's been at work in your life. So if you will, just take a few seconds here And think about the things that you've prayed about this year. And for just a few moments, I'm going to have some silence and let you reflect on that and just thank God for the way he's acted, for the salvation he's brought. And then I'll finish it up with prayer. So let's pray for a few moments. God, you're a powerful, good, and loving God. And we're so thankful for that. God, in those moments when we can't see your face as clearly, when we don't sense your presence, it's hard. So God, we seek you out. We ask for you to be at work in our lives. Correct us where we need to be corrected, but be present and show us your salvation whether it's the salvation we need for eternal life or the salvation we need to to be alive in our physical bodies, to endure what's emotionally hard. Whatever it is, God, we just ask this morning that you would be at work, but also, God, we want to give you thanks. We want to praise you for the way that you're at work in our lives. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.